Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, take your Bibles. Let's go over to Proverbs 29:25, which is our uh, text this morning. And uh, it's only 15 words. It's a short passage, but it is the Word of God, and it has some great truths in it. Proverbs 29:25. I hope by the end of this series that you'll have a firm grasp on the full meaning of this text, and it may even be a, a verse that is memorized and put within your heart. Here's what it says. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Let's read it again. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come this morning with a sense of anticipation of what you're going to do in the next number of weeks as we dive into the subject of relationships and in particular how the fear of man negatively affects those relationships. Oh Lord, we need your help. This this thing of approval and our potential addiction to it, it destroys relationships. It, it causes us to be filled with anxiety and worry. We, we live in such a way that we dishonor you and we're trapped in this cycle of wondering and worrying what people think of us. And God, I just pray that over the next four weeks you will set some people free, free to, to love you, free to love other people, free to be secure in you and God, today I just pray that you'd make the problem clear. You'd help us to see the the extent, the expanse, the the depth of this this evil that can just so much take over our lives. And so we're just praying that you would um, reveal the reality of this in our hearts. And before we begin, we just want to say to you, Lord, we're here, we're ready to listen. We want you to be our teacher, and we want you to help us grow. That's why we're here today. So do that, we pray, for your glory, for the fame of your Son, and for our help. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you live your life in light of what other people think of you, you'll end up hating them. I learned this lesson the hard way. I was um, in college, part of the Student Elder Council, and uh, part of our responsibilities was managing the Sunday morning service, the Sunday evening service, and my particular responsibility on Sundays was to do the announcements. I was a communication arts major, so you'd think a guy in that kind of major could at least do the announcements. Well, over time, for whatever reason, I began to mess up the announcements in small ways and sometimes big ways. I just couldn't ever get them right. And over a period of weeks, it was really starting to bug me. In fact, I was determined that the next Sunday, I was going to do the announcements perfectly. I mean, I was going to hit a home run when it comes to the announcements. That, that when I got done with the announcements, people would go, now, now those were some announcements. Right? <laughs> So I practiced and, and got it all worked up and, and figured out how I was going to do it and everything else. And So the, the day came and I got up to give the announcements and I was to talk about a men's fraternity group that um, whose 
name was connected to two Greek letters. Sidebar, I was a second year Greek student. So you'd think this communication arts plus a Greek um, student, I'd be able to nail this. And I got up and I said, um, after the service tonight, there's going to be a meeting in room 501 with a men's fraternity named Alpha Chi. And the student body did what you did, snickered, laughed, you know, kind of like, it's Alpha Chi, right? So, and I said Alpha Chi. Small thing, but something inside of me snapped. I was angry. How dare they laugh? I mean, haven't they ever made a mistake like that? And, and, and I was done. I got off the platform, went to the service. At the end, I met with the campus pastor, and I said, Pastor Green, I'm done doing announcements. He said, why? What's going on? I said, if the student body's going to laugh at something like that, then you can find someone else to do it. And I walked out of his office, fully justified in my mind that this was the right move. Two days later, still worked up about this, I was sharing my disdain for the student body in this regard, that they would laugh at this simple mistake, when my speech coach and advisor said this to me, Mark, when you live your life in light of what other people think of you, you end up hating them. And he was right. And that uncovered for me this subject of the fear of man. And I have spent a long time thinking, praying, and wrestling over this issue. Because I feel like I see the fear of man all over the place. When I look at the dark recesses of my heart, I see it there. I see it in the context of our culture, in our world, and I even see it in the church. And my guess is you have seen it in your own life. You have said to your spouse or your friend before, why does it even matter what they think of me? But it does. (laughs) It does. You're like, who cares? They're stupid anyways. Who cares what they think? And the reality is, but you do. You care. And cutting their legs and criticizing them and... And saying, why does it matter, only reveals how deeply this gets rooted inside of us. You may know somebody who just, they destroy relationships because they suck the life out of people. They get in, a marriage, a friendship, a small group, and before you know it, it's just never enough. This person is never satisfied, and it's like they're always looking for more and more and more, and they just, and they wonder why no one wants to hang around them. So my hope and my prayer is that this series will be the start of a lifelong journey for you in dealing with this important issue. We are not going to solve this in four weeks. The issue is too significant. It's too big. It's it's going to be a lifetime of learning for you, but I hope to start you off on the good foot and start heading you in the right direction. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at these issues. This Sunday, our title is Addicted to Approval. We're going to kind of lay the framework of the problem. And my goal is to have you see how this issue of approval and our addiction to it affects multiple areas of our life. I want you walking out of here today going, you know what, this is a big deal. I've got I to deal with this. The next week, seduced by the idol of approval. I want to help you to see what is the root of what's really going on. And then the next week, oh, I love this message, the triumph of the gospel over approval. You're going to see how the Apostle Paul leveraged the gospel in his victory over the fear of man. And then finally, loving people for God's glory, not using their approval for mine. You're going to see that the fear of man is really a backdoor mirror where you try and use people's approval to get what you 
want. So my aim is to identify for you what this problem is and then point you two directions. I want you to go vertical in your relationship with Christ. I want you to fall in love with Jesus in a whole new way and to see that following Christ and being a passionate lover of him is very, very relevant when you are battling the fear of man. And then secondly, not only have you go vertical, I want you to go horizontal. I want you to learn that God not only wants us to not fear people, he actually wants us to love the very people who we used to be afraid of. And in so doing, we'll fulfill the royal law of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's where we're going to be going the next four weeks. I'm not going to solve this entire issue today. You've got to come for four weeks, and even then we won't fully solve it. But we'll at least give you some helps in moving you along. So first, let's begin. What is What exactly is the fear of man? When I say fear of man, what do I mean? There's a number of phrases or words that you could use to describe this issue. For instance, you could think of this as pleasing people. That would be a good one. Or wanting the approval of others. Maybe trying to make people happy with you. In... Psychological terminology is often described as an inferiority complex, low self-esteem, a codependency, or love hunger. Now, usually the phrase fear of man implies something negative, and usually it is. But like so many things in life and so many things in the Bible, what happens is that the approval of others is actually a good thing, and then we distort it, or the enemy uses it, and it becomes a bad thing. So fundamentally, the fear of man is not necessarily bad. The approval of others is not bad. In fact, in many cases, the Bible actually commands us to please people, and commands us to live our life in light of what other people think of us. I'll give you a few examples. Children are commanded to please their parents. So children, listen. God commands you that as much as you can, you are supposed to make your parents happy. You might say, well, how do you do that? Proverbs 10, a wise son makes a glad father. The happiest moments of my life are when my boys make good decisions. And the times I want to hit the panic button are when they make really bad decisions. And I go, oh, Lord, help them and us. So, children are commanded to please their parents. Secondly, God has ordained rulers and authorities for whom the fear of them is appropriate and right. Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists God, resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Listen to verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. So I don't want you leaving here today going, Sweet, I don't need to fear anybody so I can drive 15 miles over the speed limit because I am not afraid of the police of Carmel, Indiana. I'm free from the fear. No, don't be like that. Third, Titus 2.9 tells us that servants or employees are to work in such a way that they bring pleasure to their earthly masters. 
Slaves, it says, are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So the idea is this, that your boss would look at the list of employees and would see you as somebody who is pleasing to him or her. That on the rank of employees, you would be somebody that's that's pleasing. In fact, the text says that you then adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, you ought to work hard and work to be sure that your boss is pleased. Third, or fourth rather, marriage includes a commitment to pleasing one another. So Paul, when talking about singleness, says this about marriage. 1 Corinthians 7.33 The married man is anxious about worldly things. Now he doesn't mean anxious in a sinful way, but he's concerned about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. The married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. In other words, when you enter into marriage, you become one flesh. So now it's no longer about you, it's about us. And therefore, there's another person who you always have to be concerned about. And pleasing your spouse is supposed to be one of your goals in your marriage. So it's not a bad thing to try and please your spouse. Unless, as we see in a moment, if that pleasing of your spouse becomes inordinately important. And then finally, in our Christian liberty in our, and in our evangelism, we must consider what is pleasing to others. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. So the idea is that we're to live our life understanding that part of our aim in this world is to please other people, to not be offensive. So as you can see, pleasing people or seeking their approval and even living in the fear of some is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, in some cases, it's a good thing and it's even commanded. So like so many things in life, what happens is that sin distorts a good gift that God has given And the reason why this is important for you to know is that the problem when it comes to approval, addiction, is not approval and it's not people. The problem is when approval becomes too important. So the question then is, when does approval go bad? The fear of man or pleasing people, trying to make others happy, becomes sinful when it becomes an inordinate desire. Somewhere in your notes, write that down. Inordinate desire. That's a very important point. Because approval becomes bad when it becomes too important. It becomes wrong when the motive and expression of that approval becomes corrupted. We've got a resource table out in the foyer area. And one book on that resource table is the book Pleasing People by Lou Priolo. In that book, he says this. These desires are wrong because you have longed for them too intently. What may have begun as a legitimate God-given desire has now metastasized and mutated into an inordinate one. See, that's the trap. It begins as a good desire. 
You want to please your spouse. You want your kids to be happy. You want your parents to be proud of you. And all of those things aren't bad. And then suddenly, over time, it, it grows and it changes. And now you can't live without this. And now you're stuck in the life out of these relationships. And now everything you do is conditioned on what they think of you. And before you know it, you are trapped in bondage. You are an approval junkie. What began as a good thing now becomes a bad thing. So it goes bad, it goes south by becoming an inordinate desire. What does it look like? Well, the manifestations of the fear of man usually takes on two different um, examples or two different scenarios. The first is, is that approval junkie is a person who has an an insatiable desire for approval. Think of them as a big tank and they got a leak. They got a leak. And no matter how much approval you put in, no matter how much you tell them you love them, no matter how much you tell them how, how great they are, it just keeps leaking and leaking and leaking and you can't pour in fast enough to fill the tank up. On the other hand, the fear of man shows up as a controlling fear of being rejected. Meaning the person constantly lives in this fear that someone's going to reject them and therefore they're defensive, they're insecure, or they're angry because they've lived their life in light of what others thought of them. Let me give you a few examples of the fear of man. A couple diagnostic questions for you to ask yourself how this issue shows up in your life. Do you ever struggle with peer pressure? Peer pressure is often a euphemism for the fear of man. And just so you know, the the peer pressure doesn't stop after you get out of high school. (laughs) It just takes on a new form with bigger objects that cost more money, right? (laughs) Are you overcommitted? Do you find it hard to say no even when wisdom indicates that you should? Do you need something from your spouse such that it controls you? Even God-given needs, folks, can become overly consuming. Do you need your spouse to listen to you? Do you need your spouse to respect you such that that consumes you? Is self-esteem critical for you? Chances are your life revolves around what other people think of you. You you fear their opinions. You need them to fill you up. Are you always second-guessing decisions because of what people might think? Are you afraid of making mistakes? Do you experience love hunger? The sense of, you know what, I just need people to fill me up. Do you get easily embarrassed? If so, it may be that people and their perceived opinions may define you. Do you ever lie, especially little little white lies? See, lying and other forms of living in the dark are usually ways that we make ourselves look better before people. Do you find yourself being jealous of certain people? Are other people often able to make you angry or depressed by how they respond to you? I mean, there's some of you who you woke up this morning coming to church wondering if so-and-so was going to say hi to you, and if they don't, you'll leave here angry. There's some of you who chose what you wore today based upon who you would see and what so-and-so would think. There's some of you who don't wash your car all week, but you do on Saturday, so when you show up, everyone sees your nice, clean car. You know that you do this. Because what people think of us is really important. Do you avoid people? Even though you may say you don't need people, they still control you. So I don't know about you, but you, you, you must see yourself in one of these descriptions because I see this stuff all over the place. 
I see it lurking in my own heart. And unfortunately, it makes its way into the church and into the lives of Christians. So the fear of man, then, is the inordinate desire for the approval of others. It's an inordinate desire. It's over the top. And it rears its ugly head in many different ways. So, Proverbs 29, 25. That's the introduction for the entire series. I want to set the landscape, so to speak, of where we're going to go using Proverbs 29, 25. And I'm going to pull out uh, the significant words in this text. The fear of man is a snare, those two words. Whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Those are the four words we're going to look at. and going to find three things that will helpfully move you along in your discovery and victory over this particular issue. The first thing that I want you to see here is to realize that fundamentally the fear of man is a worship issue. In other words, you end up standing in awe of something that you shouldn't. The text has a parallelism in it. Fear is contrasted to trust, and snare is contrasted to safe. Proverbs in 15 words gives us great truth. The Hebrew word for fear in this passage is often translated as fear, anxiety, trembling, or shaking. If you were to look up its various references, you would find that part of the power of the fear is in the object that causes it. In other words, people tremble for a reason. First Samuel fourteen fifteen, the Philistines trembled because there was an earthquake. Uh, Daniel ten seven, some men fell on their face and they trembled because Daniel saw a vision. Ezekiel twenty six sixteen, the nations will tremble at the judgment of Tyre. So the focal point of the word fear is that there's an object, a force, a person that causes us to tremble, and the strength of the object is in the fear that the object creates. So the greater the object, the greater the fear. People tremble because of the object in front of them. Example. Um, About six weeks ago, we were at a family camp, and a major storm blew through. Now, I'm not as afraid of storms as my wife is, because she's been in two tornadoes. It was hit by a bucket in the head when she was like 17 years old. So she has a a fear or maybe appreciation or maybe even a wisdom as it relates to storms. Whereas I have a naivete, I think lightning is cool. And I like to go outside and watch it. She's like, come inside, please. And I just, so we were at this camp and this major storm blew. And our kids were at different parts of the camp. Savannah was with a babysitter. We were doing some counseling at dinner with someone. And uh, Jeremiah was at the chapel. And this storm blew in. And it was 90 mile an hour winds. I'd never seen anything like this. There was no tornado. But there were limbs coming down. Trees were, were falling. I mean, it, it, was, it was scary. And we're standing in the dining hall. And my wife said to me, Mark, we have to find our children. And I'm like, are you looking outside of what I'm looking at? I mean, how are we going to find our kids in this? She's like, I can't be here with our kid not knowing where our kids are. So... When the storm just dipped a little bit, and there were 90 mile an hour winds, but 70 mile an hour winds, we ran as fast as we could to our car. We drove as fast as we could through the camp to find the cabin that Savannah was in. And sure enough, there she is watching Dora with her babysitter, and everything's fine. We, we, we come inside. We shut the door. It's raining. I mean, the trees are coming down. And as I'm looking outside, I go to put my hand to the door, and my hand is going like this, involuntarily. I can't stop it. And she's like, are you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine, you know. It's, I'm fine. And the reality is the the fear of the storm was causing me to tremble. And you know what? I've been in conversations before with people 
when in my pocket my hand is trembling? You have too, right? Or you've gotten done with a conversation and inside there, there's so much going on inside of you that there's a physical trembling that the object in front of you, even though it's just a person, is creating this trembling effect. Fear gives the object power. And in some cases this is appropriate because the object is worthy of that fear. But in other cases, we give an object more power than it really should have. For instance, my wife has what I call a spider scream. You know what that is? When we were first married, I, I was sitting reading the paper or something, and I heard her, ah! and I come running in, you know, ready for battle. What's going on here? And she's like, spider. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And I went and sat back down, right? So I learned that she's got this, this spider scream. And some women you also have, and some men, have a mouse scream. Uh, in fact, I was in my office the other day, and I, I heard a mouse scream. Uh, with all the construction that we're doing, we've, we've, um, we've removed the uh, mice um, housing areas over here. And so we've heard from our neighbors, and we've experienced this as well, the mice are relocating. And so they're finding new places to live, which includes in the church property. And I was at my computer, and all of a sudden I heard this, ah! And I was like, mouse scream, know all about it. So, And what we do is we give objects greater power than what they should have. You know, that mice doesn't have, like, fangs. Ah, right? It's just it's a little thing. Just stomp on it. Run away. It's not going to leap up and grab your aorta, you know? But we, we give it more power than what it deserves. Now, listen. We do that with people as well. We give them power that they shouldn't have. So here's what Paul says in Galatians 1.10. He says, For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. That's a really important verse. If I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So listen to me. The opposite of trusting God is fearing man. You can't trust God and fear man at the same time. And in fact, if you boil all of this down, it really comes down to the fact that at the root of the fear of man is a worship issue, a awe issue, an affection issue, an issue of what I love or what really moves me. The fear of man includes, writes Ed Welch, being afraid of someone, but it extends to holding someone in awe being controlled or mastered by people, worshiping other people, putting your trust in people, or needing people. You see, this the fear of man is you standing in awe and giving someone power that they shouldn't have in your life. Next week, we'll figure out why we do this. But dealing with the approval addiction means coming to terms with the fact that what is going on inside of me is a heart issue. So if I could get you today, when you leave here, just to think one thought when the fear of man comes, it would be this thought. When the fear of man comes, for you to ask yourself the question, what is going on in my heart right now? What is going on? Because the fear of man does not like for you to stop and think. Instead, the enemy in your flesh just want you to feel To ask yourself, what do I really want? The fear of man is ascribing power to people that really only belongs to God. And that's the problem.
And when the fear of man takes over us, we end up, to borrow from Ed Welch's title, making people big and God small. And that's what we do. We would rather have their approval than God's, and we live that way. Or at least practically, that's how we live. Secondly, I want you to see how this inappropriately controls us. So not only that's a worship issue, but it also then extends that this practically can really take over your life. When I was researching the Hebrew word, I found another English word that I thought beautiful. This fits almost perfectly what's happening with the fear of man, and it's this word. The word in Hebrew is often translated as panic in the English. There's certain texts in where the word panic is used. Dictionary.com defines panic this way. A sudden, overwhelming fear that produces hysterical or irrational behavior. Now, I've seen this. I've done this. Panic out of a fear of someone that produces hysterical, hysterical or irrational behavior. Panic happens when people respond to situations And they respond to them in a way that isn't normal, and sometimes it's even destructive. So if you follow the news in the last week, you know that at some love fest um, in Germany, where some 1.4 million people showed up as the crowd was converging into a tunnel, the crowd began to get pressed against the side of the wall, people began to panic, and before you knew it, they were all trying to run out either side and trampled over 18 people who were killed. There was no explosion, there was no event. These people just got nervous inside this tunnel and began to respond in a hysterical or irrational way and the result was 18 people died. Panic is illogical. It doesn't make sense. It causes you to do things that you would never do and being addicted to approval creates a panic in the heart and it causes you to lose control. So you say things and do things and buy things and act in a certain way because you want the approval of others and then when you look back on it, you think, what was I thinking? Why did I let them do this? Why did I allow them to control me this way? And our approval addiction begins by standing in awe or ascribing power to someone or something that it doesn't really deserve it. In subtle or brazen ways, what people think of us being like, their affirmation or the lure of popularity can take over and entrap us. Let me ask you a few questions. We'll probe a little bit deeper. Husbands, if you're honest, are you afraid of your wife? Wife, are you afraid of your husband? I don't mean physically. I mean, can you really be honest? They ask your opinion on something, and you know that if you are honest, you're going to get the treatment. You're going you're gonna to get grilled. You're going to get 30 questions. The, the look of disapproval will be there. And so, therefore, you, you don't confront him or her in love. You don't address sticky issues. You don't talk about hard things. And you found convenient strategies to deal with problems and the fear of man or the fear of woman. Some of you use subtle humor to communicate your points. You've learned over the years that if you say, I was just kidding, it's a back door to get you out of trouble. So you try it and then say, oh, I was just kidding. (laughs) And you meant it. You just don't want to get burnt. Well, here's one. 
hey, so-and-so said this. What do you think about that? And the reality is you think it, you just want to know what they think without taking ownership for having said it. It's the proverbial counseling situation. I have this friend named John, and he has this issue when it's really you. But some of you do that in the context of your relationships. You don't want to be the bad guy. Or maybe you bend the truth, or you exaggerate, or some people minimize because you're afraid how people will respond. You see, the reality is, folks, the fear of man is a snare because it controls us. The word snare means a noose that can be put around the neck of an animal to lead it around. It also refers to the process of putting a ring in an animal's nose so you could attach a rope to it and then move the animal along. And that, that's just, I love that analogy because that reminds me back of my high school days. When, whenever there was a guy who just got whipped over a girl, you know, like she was wrapped, he, she had him wrapped around her little finger and we were like, dude, you are so out of your league. She's like taking over your life and everything else. We, we would do this to him. We'd say, uh, see? you couldn't see it over there, could you? It's really attractive. So let me show you. It's like, uh, yeah. that's what it is. That's what that means. You put a ring in the nose and you lead the animal along. And the reality is that that's a pretty good picture of how some of you respond when you get an email from your mom or dad. When your friend texts you. Or when your husband or wife wants to talk about something. And the approval, addiction... The desire to have them like you, oh, it just, it just begins to take over. And, and Proverbs warns so clearly about the, the issue of being ensnared by anything, let alone this. In fact, the Proverbs uses scary words for the word snare. It describes how the wicked is trapped by his words. Or the consequences of living a sinful life is called a, a snare. Making quick promises without thinking, that's a snare. And learning the ways of a wicked man, that's a snare. So the approval junkie is controlled, he's trapped by what others think of him, and it directly impacts relationships, especially close relationships. You see, here's the problem. This begins to show up in your most intimate and personal relationships. And here's some ways that it shows up. It shows up in that you you, you rarely confront sin in the life of another believer. And the reason is, bottom line, you'd rather have there be peace than be honest and have there be difficulty. It shows up in struggling or challenging, struggling to challenge or question the opinions of others. Someone says something and you just flatly disagree and you just say nothing prematurely terminating conflict by yielding, withdrawing, or changing the subject. It's no big deal when it really is. Ken Sandy calls this peace faking. Someone who steers conversations away from topics that might cause people to realize who she really is. Someone who shades the truth so as not to offend. Somebody who fishes for compliments or frequently puts herself down in the hope that others will disagree. You know people like this. This is a dangerous trap and it destroys relationships. And it it ruins relationships because this is not the place that God has designed people to play in your life. It also ruins relationships because you'll never be satisfied with the approval of others. You'll always want more and you'll end up hating people because they can never give you what you want. 
The other thing is you'll end up sucking the life out of people and they'll end up avoiding you. Some of you may wonder, how come I don't have any close friends? It may be because every time you get close to somebody, they realize, oh, wow, this person is like has this giant vacuum to their heart for approval. No, thank you. And so you may have friends for a few months, maybe a year, until they really know what your agenda is, and then they're like, no thanks. And finally, it's you'll come to realize that people are imperfect, and they're going to disappoint you. So if you put your hope in their approval, hmm, that's not going to work. Here's what Ed Welch says. These people are fairly sure that God loves them, but they also need or want love from other people, or at least they need something from other people. And as a result, they're in bondage, controlled by others and feeling empty. They're controlled by whoever or whatever they believe can give them what they think they need. It is true, what or who you need will control you. Here's the last thing. And that is I want to call you today to learn to live on the hope that is found in trusting in the Lord. Learn to live in the hope of what it means to trust the Lord. The word trust, beautiful word, means to hide, means to take refuge in, it means to be bold or to be confident in something. It's closely tied to the idea of hope. In other words, when you're persuaded about something such that you rely on it, you hope in it, you put your trust in it. And from a spiritual perspective, what's this, what this means is that those who trust in God place their confidence in Him. They hope in Him. They rely on Him. And this is where one's relationship with Christ becomes incredibly personal. When you're battling the fear of man that you know, look, God, I want to live in light of what you think of me, not what they think of me. And you become satisfied with the glory of who Christ is for you. And you rest in the beauty of who you are in Him, not in what other people think of you. The book of Psalms is filled with use of the word trust. Just one example, Psalm 118, verses 6 to 9 says, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear, what can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Here's the thing. Some of you know that that's in the Bible. You just don't know how to savor the word better. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. You know that up here, but you don't feel that. And what could happen is if you really learn to savor the beauty of who Christ is, that your quiet time, your time in the Word, your time of prayer, and you're fighting this fear of man issue sounds like this. Lord Jesus, I want them to like me, and I know you love me, so help me to live in light of what you think of me, not what they think of me. See, the reality is if you don't know who God is, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you'll never trust Him. And instead, you'll try and fill the God-sized hole in your heart with things that don't fit. And that's maybe where some of you are today. You've tried all sorts of relationships that fill the gaping hole in your heart. And the reality is that's a God-sized hole, and only Christ can fill that need. And it may be that God uses the approval addiction of your heart to help you realize without Him, you have no hope. But in Him, oh, there's ultimate satisfaction and joy. So the reality is, we need to run to Him. You can't just stop fearing man. You have to run to an object of greater worth and awe. The word safe means inaccessibly high. So the idea is you run, and you run to a position of safety. 
It's, the word safe is used of a lofty city and the idea, or high walls, and the idea is that with the heights of the city comes safety and even exaltation. So the idea spiritually is this, that those who trust in the Lord have their hearts exalted. Meaning that they put their confidence in Christ, they see the fear of man out there, but they choose not to live in light of what other people think of them. And instead of saying, who cares what they think of me, they say, I know what you think of me and you care for me and I rest in that. And as a result, they are free. Oh, they can have great relationships, they can pour deeply into the lives of others, they care what people think, but they're not controlled by it. They're a loving, kind, compassionate person, but the reality is they are whole. They've got real security and real safety that only comes from fearing God. Two weeks from now, we're going to fully unpack this as it relates to the gospel. The thing I just want you to hear this morning is this. Your only solution to the fear of man is a conquering, beautiful beauty of who Christ is. It may be that you've run from relationship to relationship, from job to job to marriage to marriage. Maybe you can look back on the history of your life and you can see the relationship body bags that have been left behind. And if you're honest, you know that part of the problem was you sucked the life out of those things because you had this gaping hole in your heart. And listen, the only person who can fill that is Christ. You see, if the problem is a worship problem and if it is a control problem, then we have wonderful news because Jesus Christ came to make you fully approved before him to take care of the worship issue and also to take care of the control issue. Whereas 1 John 1.18 says, perfect love casts out fear. So all of us struggle with the fear of man at some level. The question is, when the fear of man comes, where do you run? Where are you going to run? You see, it may be that God's put some challenging people in your life on purpose. Because he wants you to run to him. And the fear of man is simply a call for you to realize, you know what, I need Christ and I need him big time. Because my approval and my identity too often comes from other people and not from Christ. But my question is, when the fear of man comes, where are you going to run? What's your plan? When we lived in Michigan, there was a particular running route that I had and went by the neighbors who were two doors behind us, and they had this enormous 120-plus pound Rottweiler. I mean, the thing looked so big, you could think you could saddle it up and ride it around the neighborhood. I mean, the thing was huge. And for whatever reason, the dog didn't live inside. It lived, it lived outside in this little box of a doghouse. And then it was chained up on this tether and this, this line, which I just looked at that and said, that's going to make that dog angry. And, you know, Rottweiler anger, bad scenario here. And so as I'm, as I'm running along, this dog, every morning when I would run, would come out of that doghouse. It's like he was waiting for me. And he'd come out with this big bark, woof, 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 woof. And then I'd hear him in the back of my, as I'm past him, I'd hear him. And he'd run along that zip line. And I'd hear that line go, you know, at the end, and the dog would stop. And that ding was a glorious sound because that meant that the dog had come to the end of his lease. So as I would run by every morning, I'd hear the dog, woof, 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 zipping, and that was the sound. And then I begin to think, what happens if one day all I hear is What am I going to do if there's no ding on the end of that line? And then I thought, you know, I got to have a plan. So I started developing the plan. Here's what I'm going to do. First, if I don't hear the ding at the end, I'm going to scream like a girl as loud as I can. No holds barred. I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to scream, scream, scream. I'm going to wake the whole neighborhood up. They're going to think, who is that crazy woman outside? And I'll be like, it's me. And I'm scared because of that thing. So first was scream. Here's the second thing. I was going to find 
the biggest car within a, uh, within eyesight. I was going to run, climb on the back of that car, and keep screaming. But I was going to get high, and I was going to get loud, and that was my strategy. Because if that dog ever got free, I wanted to be sure I knew exactly what I was going to do. So I thought it through and planned it through. And here's what my challenge is for you. What are you going to do when the dog of your fear of man gets loose? And where are you going to run? And what are you going to do? Because the reality is, if you don't have a plan, if you don't think through, if you just let your heart go wherever it wants to go, then the reality is what will happen is the fear of man will rule your life. Listen to me. The fear of man is using people to get what you want instead of loving people while giving God what he deserves, which is glory. The fear of man is a snare, and whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And what I long for you is for you to know what it means to be safe in the arms of Jesus, and to be so enamored with the beauty of who He is that you are free to love people, free to go deep into relationships, and that you will be whole in the context of those relationships instead of using people to somehow feed some desire in your heart to be somebody when Christ has made you complete and perfect. See, something's going on inside the heart that creates all of this. And you're going to have to come back next week to figure out what the real root cause is, and what do we do about it. But for this week, I just want you to think, Lord, what is my plan, and how does it involve you to be free from this issue? So, Father, I pray that you would unfold all the ways in which this issue grabs a hold of us and robs us of joy in you. And I pray that you would begin to help us to behold the beauty of our position, the beauty of our relationship with you such that we can be free. Lord, there are some people in this room who are just in bondage. There's folks in worship too, people listening over the podcast who today are in bondage. And I pray that, Lord, you would convict them and help them to be set free, to stop using people and instead to start loving them and give you what you want, glory, because we're satisfied in you. So help us, Lord Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, look. So you're free now, right? You know who you are in Christ. So go love a hard person around you, all right? Go find somebody who you're afraid of and say, dude, I love you. Or find someone else in the hallway. Go love on them. And listen, if you need someone to talk with afterwards, pray with. We'll have some counselors here, all right? God bless you. Be free. I love you.